1: schools, a school disciplines, the crisis that we're in, and how we can change it. My guest is Derek Black. He's a professor at the University of South Carolina School of Law, where his teaching and scholarship focus on educational equality and opportunity, civil rights, and constitutional law is, is very prominent, and his new book is Ending Zero Tolerance, The Crisis of Absolute School Discipline. Welcome, Derek. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, great. Um, Let's talk about this. Um, Is rigid enforcement of a zero-tolerance policy? Is it against weapons and drugs and assorted misbehavior? Is this helping our schools? Is it making it safe and stronger, or is it doing the opposite?
2: I would say it's doing the opposite. Um, All of the social science, all the stories show us and tell us that students don't behave better simply because parents draw uh, hard lines in the sand. And I think the truth is is that many young people simply cannot conform their behavior all the time, right? I mean, anyone who has children understands they're going to make mistakes sometimes, and we can repeat rules over and over again, and and that's not going to make them behave better. And, in fact, when we punish them harshly, we often... Uh, you know, undermine the the positive connection between teachers and students and, and they often uh misbehave even more and, and even for the well behaved student, they see uh when they see teachers and administrators acting uh you know harshly towards their friends, that also bothers them as well. So there, there's not a lot of good that comes out of it. Well, I was just
1: sharing with you before we went on the air, someone had sent me uh, through Facebook. It's called opposingviews.com. And basically it was about a school that was teaching meditation instead of discipline. And uh, they had zero suspensions. And, yep, it's that's exactly what it was. It was one school decided to replace detention with meditation. And it, it's a wonderful video. Again, you can go on to opposingviews.com. But it's, it's made a huge difference. It's the Robert W. Coleman Elementary School, and it just said that they have zero suspension. So obviously that's, that worked, or that works, or it worked in that school.
2: Yeah, I think what that, that story that you're talking about or this sort of the meditation approach is really getting at is an even simpler idea, which is, you know, misbehavior should be a learning opportunity for kids. And they are developing and they're going to make mistakes and they have to figure out the world. And so when we think about student misbehavior, it probably comes from about three different places, right? We have this one group of kids who are misbehaving. Um, because they're struggling to learn in school right and so that misbehavior is a reaction to the fact that they're having a learning difficulty there's other group of kids that have disabilities where they be learning disabilities or behavioral disabilities we have another group of kids who are experiencing uh a lot of tough situations out of school poverty maybe child abuse etc and there's other group of kids that just w- misbehave because uh, they don't like following rules or they're trying to cause trouble. But I think for most, all these kids, you know, a, a suspension isn't responding to the underlying problems that they have. <clears throat> and even if it is a behavioral problem, I think it, as you suggest, right, meditation and ways to think about that m- misbehavior and try to produce better behavior is, is the solution, not excluding a child from from school.
1: Mm. So, Let's talk about one one of the things that you think we can do. I mean, I know, and, and maybe before that, we should talk about how these harsh disciplines happened. I mean, what led to these, again, these kind of harsh discipline policies that have been going on?
2: Well, one of the things that really began to, to- tip in favor of harsher discipline policies were a, a few high-profile uh, school shootings uh, in, in our schools about two decades ago, and and those understandably sent, sent terror into uh, the hearts and minds of a lot of, of folks, and they thought that the way to deal with it was just to get tougher on students. So that that's part of the puzzle there. Um, you know, the federal government was mandating that any student who brings drugs or weapons to school uh, be expelled. But what a lot of states did was say, well, while we're at it, while we're suspending and expelling students for uh, drugs and weapons, let's suspend them and expel them for a lot of other stuff. So we had this expansion of zero tolerance. Then the other thing that happened was a No Child Left Behind Act, which Mm -hmm. put a tremendous amount of pressure on our schools and our teachers to have students perform uh, or Mm -hmm. the schools themselves were going to be sanctioned. And one of the ways that some schools have tried to or have tried to up their performance is to get rid of the so called troublemakers. So those two things, I think, combined into a a sort of vicious storm that uh, has caused suspension and expulsion to skyrocket.
1: So, what would you, what is your suggestion about intervention? Should it be done by the courts? Should it be done in the schools? What's your, what would you say would be your? Prescription,
2: if you will well I think there's a couple of different prescriptions i mean I think there are a certain number a certain category of instances when students are punished for for really no good reason at all, and that courts ought to stand up for those kids if no one else should, if no one else will um, right. this last week has been a bad week for for students and and, and schools in the media there was a case uh, about a week and a half ago of a kid who was being violently bullied in an Alabama school. And yeah. uh, the principal said or heard the student was in a fight and, and suspended him. The student was in a fight. He was beaten, being beaten and pummeled by his peers. Zero tolerance on fighting. He's out. Um, last week, there was an 11-year-old honor, honor roll student who brought her um, her fork, spoon, and knife set to school. And as the mother tells it, this is a set designed for babies, not not even for adults. Oh, no. And I know what's coming. And she Mrs. she got suspended and expelled. So for these kids suspended mm. under these sort of crazy circumstances, I would say the Constitution uh, has to protect these kids if, if yeah. no one else will. Um, we've mm. got this other uh, sort of discipline policies which aren't crazy and outrageous uh in those respects, but they're not doing anyone any good. They're not improving student achievement. They're not improving student behavior. And in that area, I think uh, policy makers need to think about effective policies that can improve achievement, can improve behavior, and so you mentioned meditation. One of the major um sort of buzzwords that that you might hear are positive behavioral support systems, and those are where we try to look at individual children and come up with p- behavioral plans for them and really begin to intervene what I would call often and early. Don't wait until the child has done something egregious to, to punish them, right. but begin to see those warning signs and get the counseling and services in there we need. There are some schools in, in our country that have uh, as many school resource officers, if not more school resource officers on staff than guidance counselors, that's not a prescription for making sure we figure out what's wrong with children. That's a prescription for sending them to jail. Uh, and then finally, you know, I would say we have to invest in school quality. One of the big lessons of my book is that school discipline isn't about individual children. It's about the environment in which they go to school. And that environment is controlled by much larger forces than what In any single individual or student. uh, So
1: what you're really saying, Derek, this is a systemic problem. I mean, this is really, this goes beyond the student and the teacher. We have have to change the system.
2: that, that, that's. Well, there are some things student and teacher can address. We talk about you know there certainly good teachers with good classroom management skills and, and that uh, try to see children as individuals can, uh, can bring suspensions down themselves. But we have other schools that are completely dysfunctional because the classrooms mm-hmm. are overcrowded the, and the guidance and other support systems aren't there. And so there there is a structural problem.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know you write that there are uh, almost three million suspensions a year. And in some states, corporal punishment is still carried out.
2: Yeah. 200,000, what some people would call beatings, still occur each year in our schools, uh, and then another 3 million school exclusions. So yes, we are casting a lot of students out, and and the troubling thing is that these are not one-time incidents. That when we suspend a student, uh, we drastically increase their chances of an additional later suspension, of dropout, and then uh, ultimately unemployment and incarceration. And to be clear, it's not that we have a bad kid who keeps getting in trouble over and over again, but Rather, that initial decision to suspend a child rather than deal with it through constructive means actually causes or sort of makes it more likely for additional misbehavior.
1: Mm. What are some of the things that you have seen that are working? I mean, I have many more questions for you about this, but let's just move for a minute to what you've seen that has worked
2: in the schools. (sighs) Well, I think that the positive behavioral supports that I suggested earlier have, have in a number of school districts Toledo Ohio has been in, was in the news a lot about this last year probably brought their suspension rates down uh, by about ninety percent that that has worked well there's other systems where students themselves become part of the discipline system through restorative justice that maybe they're asked to make amends for the wrongs that they do right and this does one it sort of repairs the harm that they may have caused but it also allows a learning experience and then my son, um, you know, actually in his own school has a simple idea, uh, which is if someone has wronged you or someone has done something that you disagree with, even if it doesn't violate the student code, Mm. uh, any child has the right to ask another child to come to the peace mat. You pull out the peace mat, you get on your knees, Mm -hmm. you sit there, you talk it out. And this is an elementary school, but it's a rather simple idea and you can understand why that works well, that we... We teach children to talk through their problems. That that is actually part of the educational process at a school, yeah. and that helps improve behavior. That's
1: very important. Well, and it helps adults too. Many adults don't talk <laughs> through their problems. So I mean, this this is great. You know, important behavior that we should all really learn. But I love the peace mat idea. I think that's that's very special. I'm sure that works well. Thank
2: you. Yeah, fortunately, uh, when you get in the habit of talking things out, you end up not having to use the peace mat that much.
1: Oh, okay. So that's all right then. Either one, correct?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, so let's tell people how to get your book. We're going to take a break in a couple of minutes, and then when we come back, we're going to talk more about um, race impacting discipline. Um, we'll talk more about law enforcement, About more about the approach that you think um, – should happen, a little bit about discrimination, whether it's intentional or not. And, you know, basically your call for collaboration. So my guest is Derek Black, and he is the author of the new book, Ending Zero Tolerance, The Crisis of Absolute School Discipline. And Derek Black is a professor of law at the University of South Carolina School of Law. And uh, we're going to take a break. Uh, Derek, anything you'd like to say before we take a break in terms of something that you think a parent or a teacher uh, might do to encourage uh, communication?
2: Well, I think it it can't be about blame. I think so much of, of the time it's about the school is wrong or the student is wrong or the parent's wrong. And I think that all the involved parties have to come together for solutions rather than pointing fingers at one another. So I think that's certainly a first step.
1: All right. Okay, again, the book is Ending Zero Tolerance, The Crisis of Absolute School Discipline by Derek Black. And what is the website, Derek?
2: Uh, nyupress.org is the, where you can find some reviews there, but it, it's available Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com, Target.com, all those places.
1: Okay, thanks so much. All right, uh, stay tuned, folks. You're listening to the Patricia Raskin Show right here on VoiceAmerica.com. America's Voice will be right back. <music>
2: Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors you can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
2: Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune in to Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7.
2: Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Patricia Raskin Show. I'm Patricia Raskin, and we're right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, on the Variety Channel. And we are talking about the crisis in schools. We're talking about tolerance and working together in teams and helping children and parents and teachers and the whole system understand what we need to do. And my guest is Derek Black. His book is Ending Zero Tolerance. The Crisis of Absolute School Discipline. Derek Black is a professor of law at the University of South uh, South Carolina School of Law, and his teaching and scholarship focus on educational quality and opportunity in civil rights and constitutional law. His work is regularly published in Lending Law Reviews. And again, welcome. Welcome back, Derek. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, you know this is a tough topic because we really there's there's it's hard so let's let's talk more about the court system here um, in terms of many times the courts are reluctant to intervene and they set the outer boundaries of the permissible discipline so how how can we talk about the court system with this
2: well the courts have had a, a curious relationship with school discipline um, Init- it really wasn't until the, the 1970s that the courts got involved in school discipline at all, and, and, and interestingly, you mentioned race earlier. The courts got involved because when schools began to integrate, what we saw were a lot of... Uh, disparities in how discipline was being meted out. And so the court began to police discipline a little bit. But really all it ever said was that schools need to follow these procedures of due process. So if you're going to suspend a kid, you've got to tell them what they've done and give them some sort of brief chance to respond. And mm-hmm. the, court, the Supreme Court really never came back to the issue of discipline to talk about what's fair discipline or what type of fairness does the Constitution require. And we went through this period of time where courts just began to become more and more less involved in discipline because the court was not providing leadership. And Mm -hmm. that um, over time, courts just began dismissing discipline challenges immediately. And the more and more they dismissed discipline cases, the the more, I think, schools and states began to realize that no one was looking over their shoulder. Now, I do not think it is the role of courts to, to sort of micromanage school discipline. But I think any time anyone with power doesn't have someone looking over their shoulder to operate as a check, there's this, you know, potential for overreach. And that's exactly what's happened in school discipline, um, as I mentioned, post-Columbine and post-NCLB, so that schools realize they can just get rid of kids without any real recourse. And, and I think that's, that's a dangerous power to have.
1: Mm. So we really the courts need to be involved a lot more than they are.
2: Well, a lot. I think they need to set the boundaries and clearly indicate that there are some instances in which it's not appropriate to suspend or expel a child. And I don't want to get too technical, but one of the, what I sort of say in the book is that there's a couple of things that always matter when we're talking about. Uh, Suspension. The age of the child always matters, right? Um, You know, a a child who uses inappropriate language towards a towards a teacher who's in uh, the second grade is a lot different than a child who uses inappropriate language and is in the twelfth grade, right? Age always matters. Matters. I say intent always matters, right? Did the child accidentally violate the rule or intentionally violate the rule? And whether the child actually poses any harm to himself or herself or anyone else always matters. And one of the things I focus on in the book is that we have a a lot of kids who get suspended and expelled who lack the maturity to, to make a conscious choice to really do something bad. And on top of that, they really haven't harmed anyone. And so, what is the purpose of suspension or expulsion? So, I call on courts to say, "Look, there's these certain category uh, of minor misbehaviors that schools shouldn't be able to uh, exclude students for long periods of time from school. It doesn't make any sense."
1: Because then you then you get into that's when they really get in trouble,
2: correct? And that's That's where. And I think, you know, some people say you're making a mountain out of a molehill. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the data, what what we find is that a suspension is a a turning point in the educational career for many students. And it is sort of the first step to ending education uh, completely Mm -hmm. for those kids. And so I don't think we can take any suspension or expulsion lightly.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Does a student's race impact the level of discipline? And how does that happen?
2: Yeah, unfortunately the answer to that is yes. I mean we we've got decades of data that's always shown us that African American students in particular are suspended and expelled anywhere from 2 to 6 times the rate of white students. Now, some people are skeptical of that data and say, well that's because they're misbehaving more. But that's not what we found. What what um, Russell Skiba in particular has, has tended to find is that uh, American students are suspended and expelled at higher rates for the same exact behavior. Um, but some people go well, that's just the data so this last year there was this study by these Stanford researchers. What they did was hand out uh, written explanations of uh, written student files and explanations of what the student had done, and they had names in there that was suggesting of, of of race and what they found was that for stuff written down on a piece of paper as being the same type of infraction that administrators reacted more harshly. Uh, to African-American students than, than white mm-hmm. students, with the exact same behavior, and part of what was going on in that study they found was this sort of stereotype confirmation that the first time a student misbehaved, the disparity wasn't as large, right? that people were willing to push their bias down, so to speak, or tamp it down in the corners of their mind. But the second time that a student misbehaved, it sort of reinforced this stereotype of, oh yeah, that that those those kids, they're the troublemakers, and it became much more quickly, much more quick to uh, suspend and. and harshly disciplined African Americans whereas the white student more likely to be found as a sort of work in progress that you know this is not inherently flawed child so there's unfortunately some pretty some pretty damaging evidence that says that race is
1: Well, and that's been happening for a while Derek that's not new
2: Yeah, it has been happening for a while but the confirmation through uh, through social science that shows us that there isn't any way to explain this off as being you know the sort of to explain it as being, well, African-American kids misbehave more, because that's often the sort of subtle bias that the listener often has. Well, yeah, that's the data, but the, these kids, they're poor and they misbehave a lot, uh, and they're able to disregard the statistics. I think new studies are showing, no, you cannot disregard the Good. statistics.
1: Well, there's another thing that you have that was in your book, surprisingly, showing that even these strict school discipline behaviors or you know procedures, they don't just affect students who misbehave they even affect cooperative high achievers
2: explain that That's right I think the most powerful factual takeaway from from the book for the sort of average Joe or Jane is that just taking taking a harsh approach to discipline harms all students not just the misbehaving students so why is that well Let's use the most egregious example. Here in in Spring Valley, South Carolina, last year, uh, an SRO SRO officer pulled a student out of her desk, put her in a headlock, and dragged her across uh, the floor while everyone else watched. This video went viral across the nation. I always say to people, are there a single one of you who would have wanted your child to be in the room and see that? And the answer is no. None of those children in a better place having seen an adult treat a child that way. Not only that, they're now going to look at that SOR office, officer differently. They're going to look differently at the teacher who called the person to come act violently, right? So that when we see schools taking, now that's the extreme, but even for suspension, that when this happens, this is someone's friend who drug across the floor. It might have been someone's sister drug across the floor. So this, you know, it doesn't turn, it doesn't turn the sort of high achieving student into an S. But it does bring down that student's, uh, on average, uh, achievement a certain amount, right? Because their relationship and their perception Mm -hmm. of school has changed from a place that's there to nurture them to a place place they're they're afraid of. To a place they're afraid of.
1: Yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, Tell us again how people can get your book. The name of the book is Ending Zero Tolerance: The Crisis of Absolute School Discipline. Let's end on a positive note. What would be your message for our listeners about what we can do?
2: Where's the hope? The, the, the hope is is to go to your school board, um, let them know that you're, you're watching and that there are better ways to, to run a school discipline system. I don't think anyone wants to hurt our children. I just think not enough of us know how to help them. And so I think that's the key takeaway. I think my book provides a lot of information on that. You can find it at nyupress.org or amazon.com, target.com, all those places, the endings, uh, ending zero tolerance, uh, the process of absolute school discipline.
1: All right, and again, they can get it mostly um, at bookstores.
2: I wouldn't go looking for it on the, on the bookshelf. I'd go looking for it on an online bookstore. Um, there's fewer and fewer bookstores out there nowadays carrying many books.
1: All right, I really appreciate this. Derek Black. The book is Ending Zero Tolerance, The Crisis of Absolute School Discipline, and Derek Black is a professor of law at the University of South Carolina School of Law. Is there a website? Do you have a website?
2: I do have a website. I, I blog on a, on a pretty daily basis, and my last two blogs have been on school discipline, unfortunately. Um, the name of my blog is Education Law Prof Blog, and that's P-R-O-F blog, uh, and i Blog on school funding, teacher quality, discipline, special education, all the issues relating to equal educational okay, opportunities.
1: So, so it's educational pros blog,
2: education law prof blog.
1: Okay, P R O S blog. All right. Derek, thanks so much for being on the program.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, stay on the line for a minute. All right, folks, uh, coming up next is our next interview right here on VoiceAmerica.com, America's Voice. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back.